Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. The scripture reading today will be from Esther chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. Give you a few seconds to turn to that or follow along with me on the screen. Uh, While you're looking that up, just wanted to thank all of you for your thoughts and prayers during um, this time of my mother's homegoing. Much appreciate um, all of you. Esther chapter 2, verses 1 through 18, reading from the English Standard Version. After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa, the citadel, under custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given them. And let the young women who the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. And there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and mother had died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel, In custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young woman pleased him and won his favor. And he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young woman to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. Now when the turn came for each young woman to go to the king Ahasuerus, after being 12 months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh, and six months with spices and ointments for women. When the young woman went into the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go in, and in the morning, she would return to the second harem in custody of Sheshaskaz, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She would go to the king again unless the king delighted She would not go to the king again unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. 
When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except that Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus in his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all of his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. From this text here in Esther chapter 2, I'll bring a message today entitled, Where is God in this picture? Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the day of worship. Lord, the opportunity we've had already to express our love to you in song. And Lord, to just to, again, as has been said already, that to just to express, Lord, something of your worth, of what a wonderful Father you are. Lord, we want to thank you today for uh, the, the Word of God. Lord, um, maybe some of our Bibles are rather uh, unused in this part of our Bibles in the book of Esther. But Lord, we want to acknowledge today that we believe in the inspiration of Scripture. We believe the book of Esther is an inspired book in the Word of God. We believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Lord, uh, we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. And God, we believe that you are here in the book of Esther. So Father, we want to hear from you today. We, want to, we ask that you give us, uh, Lord, understanding. We ask that you give illumination to our hearts through your spirit today into your word. And Lord, we pray that we will see the truth you have for us here, that we will seek to apply it to our lives. Lord, that even we'll see, Lord, the gospel, and we'll see the Lord Jesus here in the book of Esther. So God, we pray that you'll captivate the hearts and attentions of every person in this room. And uh, Lord, that we would understand, Father, that even when there are times in our lives and in our world especially, that we have difficulty maybe seeing where you're at work. But we thank you that, Lord, that the unseen hand of providence, uh, your hand is always at work. And we thank you for that. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, this morning in this service that you'll use your word. And God, we pray that we will, again, point people to Jesus. We know in our midst this morning there are those who have not repented of sin, placed their faith in Christ, and we pray that you will work in their hearts this morning and draw them to our Savior. Be glorified now. Speak to our hearts. Minister to the need of every person in this room, Lord. Uh, I can't do that even through my message today, Lord. Uh, but Lord, you can by the work of your spirit. And I pray that you will minister to every heart and every life and meet people today at the point of their greatest need is our prayer in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. When our boys were, um, were small, they had some books in uh, their uh, 
collection of books. Maybe your children may have had these. Um, I had to get some help the other day. Dasan helped me remember the name of the book, and it was actually called a, a series called Where's Waldo? Did y'all have any of those books? Uh, when you may have read your children or grandchildren when they were younger. Well, they, they, these books consist of, of uh, two-page pictures. And I mean, they are pictures that are just packed. Uh, they're, uh, they're people in the in midst of various activities and various uh, places. And, uh, and, and the reader is supposed to, in, on those pages, try to find Waldo hidden on that page. And sometimes it can be very challenging, uh, very difficult. But you know what? Waldo is always there. You can be assured. He's there somewhere. And so you just have to look. Well, um, I thought about that as I was thinking about this passage of Scripture today and really the whole book of of Esther. Uh, Because again, I know as Hunter preached last week the introductory message, the truth is that the name of God is not mentioned in the book of Esther. But that doesn't mean that God is not here. Uh, Sometimes even, and and as we see in this passage that Art has read for us today, you may say, once again, where is God (laughs) in that picture? And quite frankly, there are times in our lives that we may ask that question. We may wonder, where is God in this situation? Where is God in this, uh, this trial that I'm walking through? Where is God in this world in which we live, in our nation right now, in the midst of the situation that we find ourselves? Where is God in the midst of all of these things? Well, uh, again, as Hunter preached last Sunday in this introductory message, and in, uh, in particularly preaching in Esther chapter 1, and, and got into the first part of this chapter that we've read today. You know, the book opens with this king, Ahasuerus. He is the uh, king of Persia. And uh, there in first, the first chapter, he's having a feast. In fact, uh, he loved to have feasts. Did you notice that? And all, there are a lot of feasts throughout this book. They love to party, right? And so uh, it was on about day seven, and he had been serving uh, his guest and himself uh, through quite lavishly and, and uh, frequently. And so no doubt he was under the influence of, of alcohol. And so he invited and asked and sent for his wife, the queen, uh, Queen uh, Vashti. And so he asked her to come uh, to, the, uh, to the room there so he could display her, her beauty before his guest. Uh, well, she was having a, a, a feast for the women at that time. And she just sent word back and said, I'm not coming. Well, that was quite embarrassing for, uh, for the king. And by the way, I want to remind you, this king is a pagan king, a godless and wicked king. But he was very embarrassed. He was very angry. And so his wise men gave him some advice that day. And that basically was to uh, just uh, to get rid of her, to uh, divorce her, that she might never again come into his his, uh, his presence. And that's exactly uh, what uh, they did. And so, again, when we come to Esther uh, chapter 2, the scene opens here with Ahasuerus remembering his beautiful wife, Ashti, and, and again, perhaps regretting the rash decision that he had made, thinking maybe about how beautiful uh, she was, and, and again, about uh, you know the relationship that he had with her, but now she 's gone, and he had this, uh, this law was passed under the law of the Medes and Persians, which mean it could not be rescinded, and so what could he do? Well, his, uh, seeing his sadness, his young advisors, young men offered him some advice. 
Here was their plan. Gather all the beautiful young virgins and let the young woman who pleases the king be queen. Well, he liked that idea. And so immediately began to set that plan into motion. Well, as we again think about this story in the Word of God, this, tr- this true story that took place, I remind you that, that Esther is not just a Cinderella story where the good girl wins. There, be, there seem to be some who want to sort of paint it in that light and maybe want to extol the virtues of Esther and sort of see Esther as the the hero and the star of the story. But I want to remind you something, and this is true not only in Esther, but it's true throughout the Word of God. Esther is not the primary character in this story. Oh yes, it it bears her name, but she's not the primary character in the story. God is. And the message, the message we're going to look at today, again, is we're going to look for God in this picture. And I again believe we can see him in this story and today in this picture in chapter 2. So look with me, if you will, at, at again, uh, three, at least three ways I believe we can see God in this picture. First of all, God is with his people in dark and difficult situations. Again, the first part here of chapter 2, we are introduced to a couple of other people. We're introduced to Mordecai and Esther. Uh, they were Jews who were far away from their homeland of Judah or Israel. Um, many, of, as you know, of Judah's citizens uh, had been exiled into Babylon uh, by King Nebuchadnezzar. We certainly read about that in numerous books in the Old Testament. Uh, we read about a young man uh, and his friends, Daniel and his three friends and many others at that time who were brought from their homeland uh, to Babylon. Well, this is uh, quite a, a time after this time because later the Persians conquered the Babylonian Empire in 539 BC. And by the time we come to the book of Esther, the, em- the empire is being ruled by Ahasuerus, the son of Darius. You read about him in the book of Daniel. His grandfather, Cyrus, had decreed as emperor that the Jews could return to their homeland. And many of them did return. We read a lot about that in Ezra and Nehemiah, about those who were returning uh, to, their, to their homeland. Uh, but again, many, many did not return, perhaps for economic reasons. Maybe they'd gotten comfortable in their homes, in their jobs. It was a lot more modern in Persia. By this time, Jerusalem, again, as you read about it in, uh, in Nehemiah, was in shambles. And, uh, and so it was just more comfortable and easier to stay here. But again, Hunter described, I'm sure for you, about how much of the land now was under uh, the, uh, the, the, the rule of Persia, Ethiopia to India. A great, uh, great portion of the, of, the country, of the world really was under the domain of the per, of per, Persian government and the Persian empire. So again, these were Jews from the tribe of Benjamin who had taken on Persian names. Mordecai, for example, means a man of Marduk. Marduk was the Babylonian god. Esther uh, means star. It's from Ishtar, the goddess of love and war. They'd taken on Persian names. And probably, like we see in our country when people come here from other countries, they begin to take on our culture. And so a lot of that, no doubt, was happening with them. Not all, not all of that is necessarily sinful. Uh, sometimes that's just the culture of the nation in which you're, you, you live. Her Hebrew name is Hadassah, which uh, is translated myrtle. Uh, so no doubt it was, it was uh, difficult 
for these uh, followers of Jehovah, Yahweh, to maintain their biblical uh, convictions and practices in this very wicked and very pagan culture, just as, uh, just as we must do as believers. Uh, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we're called, uh, we know we're to be in the world, but not of the world. We're to be salt and delight and light and to impact the culture around us with the gospel while still living in this world, while still uh, working in the same factories and the same jobs where people in this world live and going to the schools and going to the supermarket and being a part of government, but maintaining our convictions and, and, and standing firm on God's word as God's people. And that is, we would all admit, increasingly difficult, is it not, in this world in which we live? Well, a little bit more about Esther. Her parents had died, as we've read in this text, and, uh, and they, uh, her older cousin now, uh, Mordecai, was raising her. He was a, an, essentially a single dad. And so he was uh, taking care of it. There's no mention of a, a wife here. The Bible tells us here in 7 and 15 in this passage that, that he was uh, raising her as his own daughter. Obviously, that means he loved her very much. And, uh, and again, he obviously is trying to raise her at least, uh, in this beautiful young girl, teaching her the truths of their faith. Uh, in the midst of this pagan culture. And again, while some believe that there's silence that we see in this story is, uh, is compromised with the world, we can see for certain that Esther knows who she is. Otherwise, Mordecai would not have told her to keep quiet about her identity. And uh, so according to verse 7, Esther had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. The, king, the king's men, as we've said, were sent out to seek out the beautiful young virgins for the king. And uh, this was basically a Miss Persia pageant, okay? We have, you, know, you know about those. And, uh, and the winner of this pageant, uh, this beauty contest more or less, would become the new queen. Now, some believe in verse 15, the word taken there as we read it, is an indication that these young girls were taken by force to be in the king's harem. Quite frankly, there are others who believe that they were complicit. Uh, and so there's a def- differences of, in- of understanding there. Just Josephus records that of this large number of the girls that were taken throughout the large kingdom, that it was narrowed down to about 400. And so we can imagine, you can imagine it, there, during that day, your daughter being selected now, again, what was it like for Mordecai? Again, if it was, if it was taken by force, it would be a, a heartbreaking experience. On the other, as we know many in our culture today who start very young pushing their children, their little girls especially, to, to compete and to be winners, I can just imagine there were some who were excited about that possibility that their daughters might become the queen, uh, the, the wife of the king. They may have thought how wonderful that was. But in reality, folks, these young girls were about to become sex slaves uh, of the king, King Ahasuerus. Each girl was prepared, as we read here, for an entire year. Can you imagine that? And uh, what a shopping spree must have been for them. And uh, they would be all kinds of, as we read here, the, the, from clothing to all kinds of perfumes and all those things, no doubt, uh, that they, were, uh, they were, were acquiring. But if they, they, they would, uh, again, each girl was prepared, and then, then uh, after her night with the king, she would be sent to a second harem where she would wait 
uh, possibly to be called back by the king by name, but then possibly, and for many, not. So that meant they would be sent to another harem, but they wouldn't be returned to their family. They would be put to, sent to that second harem where they would re- live out the rest of their lives. So again, don't glamorize this story. Uh, in, in reality, this became a very dark, a very difficult, a very lonely, a very competitive kind of situation. Can you imagine the atmosphere among these young girls? And it became a very empty life. So to be subjected to this as a young follower of Yahweh must have been a very dark and difficult time for Esther. Mordecai was concerned for her safety. That's why he did the best he could, though he couldn't see her, to go and try to find out about her and find out how she was doing. And again, why he uh, warned her not to tell her identity because he was feared for her life and for her safety. After she became queen, they still faced some dark and difficult and potentially dangerous times, no doubt, in their life. Well, again, I believe we see God in this sense that that God promises to be with his people. He promises to be with them during the dark and the difficult times uh, of, of life. And we're reminded in Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That That valley of the shadow of death, as we saw it when we looked through Psalm 23, means the deep, dark valleys of life. And I'm I'm convinced that this time for Esther and for Mordecai, uh, and as we're going to see for others, was a deep, dark valley. We see all throughout Scripture, don't we, that God was with his people during those dark and difficult times. He was with Joseph during that difficult time of being betrayed and sold into slavery Uh, falsely accused uh, by uh, by his master's wife and in prison for a crime he did not commit and had to remain there even though he was told by some they would do their best to help him get out. They didn't for some time. Uh, But he was with Joseph and and obviously we saw how, see how God worked in that situation. But I'm sure there were a lot of days when Joseph said, God, where are you? Where are you in the midst of this dark and difficult time? He was with Daniel uh, and his three friends and, and certainly took care of them and, and, and gave them his presence. He was with Peter and Paul and, and, and others in, in imprisonment and persecution and suffering. And again, friends, I'll remind us today, he's with us during those dark and difficult times. You may be going through such a dark and difficult time right now in your life as a believer. And I want to remind you that even when you don't understand what God is doing and you can't really see his hand, as the song says, you can trust his heart. You know that God is at work. And so continue to look to him and trust him and trust his word and the promises of his word. He promises to be with us and he will lead us through to victory. If you're, if you're here without Christ, I want to tell you that one of the major differences uh, as an unbeliever and a believer, you see, as believers, it doesn't mean that we don't face trials. We, want, we don't want to give you that wrong impression. Some may want to tell you that, that we don't have difficulties. The reality is we do. We suffer things that you suffer with. We go through illnesses. We go through the death of a family member. Uh, we go through tragedy. We have family members who struggle. We, we go through many of the things that you go through, but we have the wonderful assurance that Jesus has promised never to leave us and never to forsake us. And we have the truth of the Word of God 
that all those situations that we're facing, all the dark and all the difficult times that we're going through, that God's working those things together for good. That he's using those trials in our life to help conform us to the image of Jesus. That he's using those opportunities in our life to give us a platform with which to share what it means to be a follower of Christ and to demonstrate the difference that Jesus makes in our life. So again, I believe we see God here as we see that he's with his people in dark and difficult situations. But the second way I believe we see God here is that we see that God may give his people favor with the world in order to accomplish his will. And the reason I use the word may here is because I want to be clear that there are times when, obviously, when God's people go through persecution, it may certainly appear that we don't have favor with the world. And God doesn't always promise that. But we, also, but we do see the evidence of that. And I believe we see the evidence of that in this story. Uh, by the way, let me pause right here and say, uh, on your outline in your notes, uh, I, uh, I have switched point two and three. So don't be confused, all right? Just, uh, just you can go down to three and, sorry about that, but uh, that was a change I made after Debbie had printed it and I didn't get it to her. And uh, so anyway, uh, so again, God, God may give his people favor with the world in order to accomplish his will. As we see in this story, Esther won the favor of Haggai, the the king's uh, man who was in charge of these young women. He provided her with cosmetics. Uh, He assigned the seven women to assist her. He advanced her to the best place in the harem. She obviously had favor with with Haggai. And uh, again, as she was being prepared during this period of time, uh, as, as the others were, And then uh, notice again, verse 15, it says, Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. Now, quite frankly, uh, many believe that what we're seeing here is she won favor largely because of her beauty. She won favor because she was beautiful, as is described here in this passage. Does that mean that God favors beautiful people? No, it does not mean that. God, but God creates us, didn't he? God was responsible for her beauty. God, God made her like he made her. And, uh, and, uh, and so, so, so she was winning favor. And I believe, again, we see God ruling and overruling. And I would like to believe that it was more than just her physical beauty, that, it, that she also, ha- having been taught uh, the word of God and, and being brought up uh, in a home that taught her about uh, Yahweh and, and about the word of God, that she, uh, that through her humility, through her kindness, through her compassion, God also used these factors in, in winning favor. And notice as we move along in the passage, it was in the seventh year of his reign. That was four years since Vashti was removed from being queen. The time came for Esther's night with the king. We read there uh, again uh, in verse 17, the king loved Esther more than all the women and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So, uh, again, verse 17 is translated in the New International Version. Now, the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women. He crowned her as queen. She won his favor. And again, we believe that even here is 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 God working. We see the hand of God even in this situation, ruling and overruling. Again, why is that important? Well, because we know if she had not, she would have gone to the second harem. She would, could have lived out the rest of her life there and never would have had the opportunity to influence 
the king in the sense of saving her people, the Jews. And we'll see about that later. But we see God's hand and God's work here, his unseen providence at work, even in her selection as being queen. Uh, So the king announced Esther by holding a, a feast in her honor for the entire kingdom. And so he he wanted everybody to know it, and uh, he did something that would cause them never to forget Queen Esther. He gave them all a tax break. You know, we like those, right? Well, those were popular back in that day, too. And so, wow. And not only that, but he sent gifts to everybody. I mean, this was a big thing. I almost imagine it being a little bit like England, the way they still are today, and how proud they are of the royal family. And uh, think about Princess Diana and all the, uh, you know, the paparazzi and all that kind of thing. Well, no doubt the people of Persia were very proud of Queen Esther as they celebrated, as the, even as the king celebrated her and proudly presented her. Well, Scripture gives numerous examples of God giving people favor with the world without compromise in order to accomplish his will. Joseph is a great example of that, even in prison there. We read in Genesis 39, 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Uh, Daniel was given favor with officials and also with uh, more than one king, Nebuchadnezzar and Darius. He was given uh, favor with them uh, as well. And we see that in the New Testament. When we come to Acts chapter 2, verse 47, in the early church, the Bible says they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so God was using even in the early church, and God still does that today. Again, that doesn't mean it's always going to be true. That doesn't mean we're not going to face persecution. We certainly do. The Bible promises that as well. But again, we think about this in, in relationship to our own life. I think it's, it's fitting for us to pray that God will give us favor. Give us favor with our employer or give us favor uh, with our neighbors or family members for the purpose of sharing the gospel with them so that the will of God can be accomplished in fulfilling the Great Commission. And God does that. We see God opening doors today in places that are unusual places and with unusual people, people that don't, aren't really necessarily thinking about God, but God is giving favor and God opens that door and gives us opportunity to proclaim the gospel so that the gospel can advance, which is what we've been given the assignment of doing as his people, as his church. So we see God here as he gives uh, his people favor with the world in order to accomplish his will. But I believe we also see God here in a third way, and that is that God overrules the plans of the wicked to accomplish his purposes. And really, that is largely, I think, the message of the book of Esther. Uh, again, I remind you, I don't, we, we don't wanna, we're not trying to glamorize this. Don't, don't get the idea that this is all wonderful. Uh, this was a wicked plan that these advisors had, that the king had. It was very wicked. It was very dark. It was very difficult. Uh, even, even divorce of Ashton, that's contrary to the will of God. Men, are, 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 men and women are not to be treated as slaves and not to be treated as sex objects. Uh, God's people are not to join in, join themselves to an unbeliever in marriage. Scripture is very clear about that. Um, but again, this book shows that God overrules the wicked plans of people to accomplish his purposes. 
This does not mean that God approves of wickedness or, again, even overlooks wickedness. I said he overrules it, not overlooks it. Because, again, there are plenty of cases in Scripture where people, uh, again, may have, through, uh, through their wicked plans, God overruled them and, and used that to accomplish his purpose, but that person still suffered the consequences of their wickedness. So please don't get this as an idea or think of this as some way to justify wickedness or disobedience uh, in your life uh, today. Again, the Bible says that in 1 John that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is perfect and holy and righteous in all his ways. Sin always has its consequences. He's going to use Esther and Mordecai in their new roles to deliver his people from potential destruction and extinction, which ultimately relates to us today. Because if Jewish people had been destroyed, then our Messiah would never have been born, Jesus, or died or, 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 or as our sinless substitute. This was all a part of God's ultimate big plan, his big picture plan. Again, Scripture is filled with examples of the way God overruled even the plans of the wicked to accomplish his purposes. After they had sold him into slavery, his brothers, years, uh, years earlier, and, and he'd suffered much uh, uh, under this time of, of imprisonment and so forth, he was then exalted to the position next to the king of Egypt. Joseph spoke these words to his brothers in Genesis 50, 20. He said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So friend, I want us to see that God is at work. He's at work in our lives. This applies to us personally. It applies to our world around us. God's unseen hand is ruling and overruling in the affairs of men. Again, that applies to the daily circumstances of your life, something you're going through today over which you have no control. Again, that doesn't mean that we are simply to throw up our hands and say whatever will be, will be. That doesn't mean that we take on that kind of attitude or that we don't care. It, uh, we must pray, pray diligently and ask God to bring about revival and spiritual awakening, to pray for our lost family members and friends over which our heart are, are bro is broken. We must live holy lives. We must evangelize, share the gospel with our lost family member, friends, and neighbors, and others around us in the world. We must make disciples who can therefore make disciples as Jesus has commissioned us to do. We must be salt and light in this dark and difficult world. Again, we must vote our biblical convictions and then trust God to overrule the plans of the wicked and accomplish His will. We must not throw up our hands nor wring our hands and think, oh, this is all so terrible and blame the other party from which we are affiliated with. But dear friend, the greatest evidence of God's providence in our world is the gospel. God overruled the wicked schemes of religious leaders. One of his own followers named Judas, Pilate, uh, the, the, the governor, the Romans who condemned Jesus and crucified him. He overruled all of that in order to bring us salvation, a part of his sovereign plan in order that we might have a Savior who would become our sinless substitute, who would die on the cross, becoming sin for us, that we could become the righteousness of God in him. How beautiful is God's plan? How beautiful is his overruling of the wickedness of man to accomplish his 
purposes. I want to just share with you just a few things today. In closing, I can't spend as much time on them as I would, would like, but I want us to see some, some gospel application of this story as well. The first thing I want to mention is that Jesus doesn't choose us because of our attractiveness. Now, that would certainly include physical as well as spiritual. Physically, the Bible says that God doesn't uh, look on the outward appearance as man does. But I'm speaking primarily here about, about the spiritual attractiveness. You see, the Bible says we're not attractive spiritually, that there's no good in us, that there's nothing about us that is attractive to God. We have nothing to offer him. The Bible says, as we read today in Romans 5, but God shows his love in us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us as sinners, hell-bound, hell-deserving sinners, not because we had something to offer him. He doesn't choose us because of that. Secondly, Jesus loves and accepts us unconditionally by his grace. Again, when we see our sinfulness and by the work of the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the Gospel and therefore repent, turn from our sin and trust in Jesus and Him alone to save us, the Bible says He fully accepts us by His grace. We are forever and fully accepted uh, by Jesus, in Jesus, by His grace. Ephesians 1, 6 says, To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the beloved. You may have it that he has accepted us. And that is, again, the idea. We're blessed and accepted in Jesus. Again, how accepted are we to God the Father? Listen, this may sound heretical to you, but in Jesus, we are just as accepted to God as Jesus is. You see, because we cannot be accepted by God. Never, never, never. So therefore, we can only be accepted through Jesus. He, he deposits the righteousness of Christ he imputes the righteousness of Christ to us. And therefore, when he sees us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Because again, over and over and over in Scripture, not only is Jesus in us, but as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are in him, in him, in Jesus. And so Jesus loves us and accepts us unconditionally. Oh, dear friends, so many today, like these were in Esther's day, are, are pleading and trying so much to gain acceptance. They're trying to accept, gain acceptance from others. Even think Some are even trying to gain acceptance of God. Some of you today perhaps have rejected the gospel and not responded to Christ yet because you still think you're not good enough. Well, guess what? You're right. You're not. You deserve hell. All of us do. And when we've been in heaven for a million, billion years, we still are be deserving of hell. We'll only be there because of the grace of Jesus. Because we're accepted in the beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, Jesus is our worth and beauty. 1 Peter 3, 4, primarily written to wives, says, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of, the, of a gentle and quiet spirit, which, is God's, uh, which in God's sight is very precious. Ladies, if you don't mind, we'll borrow that from you, this verse, okay? The hidden person of the heart is Jesus. Jesus is the hidden person of the heart. He is what makes all of us attracted to God. He is, what, he is the source of our worth. 
He's a source of our significance. And again, it's all about Jesus. We're stewards of these physical bodies. Yes, we should take good care of them, and we ought to make them the, the best we can to, to bring honor and glory to him and not dress in any way or, or live in any way uh, that would bring dishonor to him, not do, take good care of him. But ultimately, uh, we must be reminded that our real, our real beauty and our worth is in Jesus and who he is in us and through us. Number four, Jesus celebrates us as his bride and we worship him as our king. As, as your ears had a celebration here of Esther uh, and it pales in comparison to Jesus' celebration of his bride. Revelation 19.7 says in, in what's going to take place there, he says, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. We're going to celebrate with Jesus for all eternity. And even now, the Bible says there's rejoicing in the presence of God when one comes home to him in repentance and faith. And then finally, Jesus is worthy of our confession of him. Esther, under Mordecai's direction, said, keep quiet about your identity. Dear friend, we can't keep quiet. The Bible says again in Matthew 10, 32, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. One of the evidences of being a child of God is that we want to tell others, amen? Thankfully, at the right time, Esther confesses. But dear friend, we must confess Jesus. That's what, what being a child of God's all about, is, is knowing Christ and making him known. It's, it's looking for every opportunity we can to speak of our Savior and our Lord. As you read the book of Acts, uh, when they were commanded to no longer speak in the name of Jesus, they said, we can't keep from it. Well, whether you want us to or not, we must tell. We must tell what Jesus has done. That's what we're here to, for, is to confess who Jesus is and point others to him. I hope today you can see God's unseen hand, his his uh, presence in this picture. And I hope you can see God's presence in the picture of your life today and see how God is working, that you will trust him for what he's doing in your life and how he's working it together for good. And if you're here today without Christ, our prayer is that you might recognize that, that even in your being here today as a part of God's plan in your life, that you might recognize your need for a Savior, that you would be willing today to turn from your sin and place your faith and trust in Jesus. And that's our prayer for you in this day. Would you join me for prayer? This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.